informed and to keep you company. If you're able to help us with the this last uh, 4,900 and change here, any amount will help us. Go to WJFFradio.org to make your contribution now. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. We're going to go into Bodie Talk, and after Bodie Talk, we expect to be going to this uh, live press conference with Senator Gillibrand and uh, Congressman Delgado. We'll see how that goes. Coming up right now, Bodie Talk. Namaste, and welcome to Bodhi Talk, where the intention is to inform, inspire, and empower each of us to wake up to who we really are. Not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. My name is Doug Bell, and today on Bodhi Talk, the theme is, Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathwater. Now, that's kind of a gruesome image, but... Uh, I think you all know what I mean by that, to uh, remember what's really important if there's something that is being uh, eliminated uh, because of a certain reason. Um, we got to recognize that the purpose of that may involve something deeper that we need to hold on to. And what I'm talking about specifically is the whole context of spirituality and religion and belief in God and all of that. And this is something that um, I'd have to say I've really spent my whole life uh, dwelling on this. As a young child, I was actually questioning religion. I've talked about this before on a number of occasions. But um, And looking back, even though, as I say, I was questioning and finding that science and religion really didn't coincide, and I was going for science, and I thought, well, there is uh, just no need for this superstitious uh, religious stuff. Uh, and yet, having a father as a Methodist minister, I was still uh, going to church, and only in retrospect did I really reflect on what that was about for me. And so here I am, an atheist, attending church, and actually finding it to be rather enjoyable, uh, for the most part. Interesting, enjoyable. It, it's really the connection with the people there that uh, kept me involved. All through high school, I was attending the Methodist Youth Fellowship and just, you know, the camaraderie, the uh, activities that we were involved with, that uh, it was uh, more like a, like a social club, in a sense, and yet it was in the context of the church. And so I didn't just uh, say, that's just not for me. Uh, I continued to uh, stay involved in what the process of the church, for me at least, was all about. And what I find now, though, is that there's so many people who are finding the church to be kind of irrelevant. And 
many of the churches are having a significant decline in their congregation. Uh, some of these mega churches, they're really sort of uh, gaining momentum. And I would say that it's, the, it's about that connectedness. And uh, I'm just thinking of, I told my wife what I was going to be speaking about today, and she said, oh, you're always getting into uh, like doing a sermon. And I said, well, I am a preacher's kid, and I, I do tend to uh, have that kind of a context. But uh, she was concerned that I'm not delving into the psychological aspects. As a psychotherapist, that's really what I do. But I, I do find, though, that as I move more deeply into the process of counseling and psychotherapy, that the the deeper essence of what people are really yearning for is that connectedness. And that's where spirituality is really happening. And uh, for me, the the I went through quite a, an evolutionary process, uh, speaking of evolution in another format, not just the Darwinian theory, but to look at the the change within my own perspective over time. And I find that that's something that, uh, in retrospect, uh, I can see how what it is that I've done is to hold on to the baby and not throw it out with the bathwater. Um, and a lot, much of that time, it wasn't like a conscious uh, process. Uh, I didn't really appreciate just what it was that I was holding on to in spirituality. Uh, and again, this is what I consider to be very deeply spiritual, but at the same time, it's about our mind. It's about our perspective. And training the mind to recognize what is of uh, enduring value and importance. That's really the key. And, uh, and yet, there's a lot of people out there that have just uh, decided to eliminate the whole context of uh, God and religion uh, and just saying that we're just here for the duration of from our birth till our death. That's it. Game over. Nothing beyond that. And I have come to look at that much differently. Uh, I see ourselves, as I always say at the beginning of this show, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And in that spirituality... It's, um, well, it's, it's very scientific. It's, it's energy, really. And physics um, has taught us that, the, um, that energy can never be destroyed. It may change form, but it is eternal. It's invulnerable. So uh, looking at that in, in that context. Um, and I have deep respect for a lot of people who are maintaining a very scientific perspective. Uh, Carl Sagan, when he was alive, uh, was somebody that I... Uh, I just <laughs> found his study of the cosmos, uh, the universe, uh, the planets and stars and all of that. Uh, I mean, he was uh, an amazing scientist. And, and yet, in that scientific model, he had no room for religion and God. He, uh, you know, astronauts go up and they don't see any... God sitting on a throne up in heaven and that, that sort of thing. But that, that's really not the point. Uh, there's a, a presence. We've come to view God as almost a, uh, 
a physical form. Um, there's the line that God created man in his image, but in fact, man has created God in man's image. Uh, the, uh, the whole context of uh, the religious perspective of God is that there is this, uh, maybe not in uh, the typical human form, but that's the, the picture that we get in our heads. And in different cultures, it, it appears in different ways. But um, And then <clears throat> there's a more contemporary, uh, still-living writer, Sam Harris, who, interestingly, I, I heard him being interviewed on NPR. I missed the first part of the interview, and it wasn't uh i just got the tail end and i was very intrigued by his wisdom and the the thoughts that he was presenting and i ordered his book and i realized that he's uh, a very staunch atheist and yet much of what he was presenting is something that i i deeply uh uh agreed with i would uh believed in but i agreed with his perspective um but I do th- think that he sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater. And uh, that's where what it is that I'm talking about is sort of training the mind to recognize that there's another way of looking at spirituality. Uh, we don't need to um, remain uh, in that religious church-based, organized religion kind of perspective. Uh, But we do need to look at what the major function of the church uh, is really all about, that is to guide us in answering those perennial questions. Who are we? How did we get here? What is the purpose of our life? And how do we find happiness? Um, Now, as I say, many have dispensed with religion and the concept of God, And they're sort of left with the notion that our purpose is to gather as much stuff as we can. I often think of that bumper sticker I saw years ago. He who has the most toys when he dies wins. And, and yet there's a, there's certainly an emptiness there. Um, uh, but even if you add to that, uh, just having a sense of leaving a legacy, of making an impression, and maybe having a life that people will remember you by, and there's the, uh, enduring nature of your beingness in your legacy that you've left behind when you do leave this body. And and so I, I just look at that as, uh, again, it it lacks the, uh, the sense of the eternal nature of spirit and beingness. And so the idea here is we are able in this lifetime, uh, without waiting for death to go to heaven and have this eternal joy and peace and however that is presented in the organized religious perspective, um, but how can we cultivate a way of being that allows us to connect deeply with that deeper part of ourself as well as that deeper essence within all those people around us? And that's really something that took me a, a long time to get a handle on this. And uh, it, it really, uh, it started, as I say, when I was questioning the existence of God. And um, 
it was only actually 50 years ago when I was 18, I was beginning to study Eastern thought. And with that, I was developing an appreciation for spirituality that didn't have all of the dogma and doctrine that I found so unacceptable in the well, the Christian religious perspective that I had grown up with. And I always point out that at that time I didn't fully appreciate or understand all that I was reading about, but there was just something there that resonated with me and it just felt right. And I continued delving more and more deeply into that over the years. I was just um, reading a lot of books related to the initial ones I read, the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and a book on Zen Buddhism. And uh, like I say, there was a, a purity and, an, and a simplicity to all of that um, that just sort of drew me in. I went on to read the, the Tao Te Ching and... Uh, other books on Buddhism, and it was something, again, that helped me recognize that there's a way of living a spiritual life right here, right now, and not needing to wait until after this life is over to enjoy uh, peace and tranquility. Uh, but again, I was just reading about this material. I was just developing a, an intellectual perspective. And uh, interestingly, around, well, I was, I was about 21 or so, uh, and again, just reading all this stuff and having uh, an idea about what it was about, but it wasn't enough to help me get through a crisis. And the crisis for me at that point in time was I was dating a woman who, we were very close, we were talking about marriage, she wanted to get married, I wanted to be with her, but I wasn't ready to commit to marriage at that age. And as it happened, uh, an old boyfriend of hers uh, returned from on leave, I think he was in the Air Force, and he proposed to her and she accepted. And that for me was pretty devastating. I just, I was thinking I was tired of playing this game. And um, it, it sent me into a real existential crisis and where I I didn't really have a plan to end my life, but I was in a pretty uh, deep level of despair. And it was uh, a close friend of mine who was able to uh, sort of support me through that process. And um, again, the connectedness that I had with this woman, uh, she was able to sort of talk me through all the stuff that I was experiencing the, uh, the hopelessness and the, the futility and the, the emptiness of life, the thoughts that I was having. And so I, the conclusion I came to, uh, perhaps only in retrospect, was that there is uh, a reason to go on, and it's the connection that we have with others that makes life valuable. And when a certain connection breaks, well, there are, uh, as they say, other fish in the sea. Um, but uh, I was at a point where I just didn't want to play that game anymore. So the support of this other person was such that I was able to, like I say, get back on track. And during that 
same period of time, uh, I was also playing little head games with myself, uh, getting into different substances, alcohol and marijuana, and realizing that I had a kind of a, an addictive personality. And that's where the head game goes in. But I, uh, I'll talk a bit more about that as we return from our break. You're going to be hearing Ali Akbar Khan, uh, uh, an album called Journey. You're listening to Bodhi Talk. Okay, welcome back to Bodhi Talk. That was Ali Akbar Khan. Today we're talking about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And before the break, I was just beginning to talk about my own experience of evolving into an understanding of what spirituality really is all about and what the presence of the divine in our lives, uh, how that may manifest. And uh, again, uh, I was searching for a deeper connection and it was through uh, drugs and alcohol that um, I attempted to make that connection. And, of course, that's kind of a dead end. Um, and so it was really as I began to, uh, well, it was during my trip to India where things really started to uh, sort of become more clear, almost crystallizing. It took really decades for that crystallization to arise. But um, I, I found that as I was traveling in the way that I did, and it was, you know, this was, well, 1974, and things were different then. Uh, a lot of us were, uh, well, called hippies and long hair and a free style of living. And um, I I didn't really have a clear plan as to where I was going to go when I left the States other than I was going to do Europe. And as it happened, I was only there for a little over a, a week when I met a couple guys who were on their way overland to India. And that was something that uh, <laughs> I was struck with how... I wanted to do Europe, and then I was going to do India. And so I thought, well, I'm halfway to India. Why don't I just go there, and I'll 
see Europe when I get back. And what I experienced over those next three months of traveling through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, into India, and then all the way into Nepal, uh, Kathmandu, uh, that journey taught me so much about what it is that the the spiritual life is really all about. Um, I had the sense that I was in charge of this trip that I was taking, and I had a plan. Well, there was a larger plan that uh, I said yes to. That's the key. Um, when we're stuck in a particular way of looking at things and we're very rigid, and again, this is the psychological factor here, uh, when we're able to have a little more flexibility and recognize that we may be thrown a curveball and things are a little different than what we planned. And if we can say yes to that opportunity, which is what I was doing almost on a daily basis, uh, and it was like a roller coaster in a way, uh, but there was a flow. And I began to recognize that, at least for me, there was a clear sense that there was a presence guiding my life that was greater than my own thoughts and will and all of that. And uh, so I needed that kind of experience. And I'm not getting into the details for the sake of time here now, but uh, what I experienced was something that left me with a deep sense of certainty that there is indeed a presence that uh, could be called God, uh, the universe, uh, uh, spirit, however uh, it can be. It's really beyond words. As the Tao De Jing says, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. So that's what struck me about this experience, was that there was this presence that I couldn't really define, but I found that I could trust that it will guide me as I moved through life, and if I say yes to that, while I'm proactively engaged, I talked about this a few weeks ago uh, from A Course in Miracle perspective, that anything that I uh, set my mind to, uh, it will work out perfectly, uh, but there is a need to open my mind and heart to the, the process of that experience and to engage proactively. And one thing that I resolved while taking this trip, especially being in the very culture of the the systems of philosophy and spirituality that I had been studying, I realized that I needed to do more than just read about this. I needed to practice. And that is the real key. Um, there's that surrendering. And there's a deeper learning that comes through practice. And so when, when I returned to the States, I ended up getting a job in a mental health inpatient unit, and I <clears throat> uh, began looking for a yoga teacher. Ended up public TV. Lilius Follen uh, had a, a regular show at least once a week. I forget. I, I was watching it regularly uh, on the Chicago station. And so she was my first yoga teacher. And then, well, it was about a year later, uh, after I'd been working at this place, uh, 
I was directed to the Himalayan Institute, uh, where I uh, it was for it was a workshop for counselors and therapists integrating yoga and meditation into the practice of psychotherapy, and I attended that workshop and was so impressed that I quit my job and I moved in, and that's when I really began to move more deeply into the practice of meditation. And in a very rigid, it was like being in a monastery, uh, ashram. I, I was, uh, we were called ashramites. So that experience uh, gave me the deeper experience, and it opened me to a whole process of looking at life from that psycho-spiritual perspective. And I went on to eventually finished my degree and in human services and then Eastern Studies and Comparative Psychology as a master's degree and working in a lot of different mental health settings and in private practice and then writing the book, Living the Namaste Principle, A Unifying Paradigm, Shifting from Fear to Love. And that's where I just sort of uh, bring together all of these different practices and concepts that for me, helped me recognize a way to maintain a focus on what is really, I consider to be the most important thing, our, our spiritual beingness. So, again, that's something that, um, well, I talk in my book about how there's, uh, like, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain uh, on the planet, and we may reach that summit through really an infinite a number of paths from wherever we are to get to that summit. And yet when we're at the summit, we are at the peak. We are at that point of the highest elevation. Uh, and as a metaphor, that applies to finding whatever we want to call that beingness that is usually called God. Uh, we may reach that truth through a path that we find resonates with us. And that's the key here, is to move into a way of being that feels right for us, and we achieve that, and it doesn't matter so much how we get there, it's just that we get there. So I'm going to now just take a real brief uh, namaste booster. Uh, uh, and this is the practice that I'm recommending. Just become present right here, right now, and be aware of your breath as you begin to let go of physical tension and letting go of any concerns of the past or the future, just moving into the moment. And then witness as you let go, watching the breath allowing that to keep you grounded and just maintaining the integrity of that flow. And consider how you may cultivate this connectedness within those around you, with those that you love, those that you work with, and find a way to get beneath the surface where there are all these differences and maybe disagreements and remember that beneath the surface, we're all the same. We're connected 
in that oneness of being. And just watch the breath flowing in and out as you just witness whatever thoughts, impressions, images, sensations arise. Stay in the moment, keeping the breath flowing. And just allow a deepening of that connection with yourself. And resolve to practice in whatever way is comfortable and natural for you, to just become mindful. As you now come into alertness, And consider how, again, this is a, one way of practicing, whether you call it prayer or meditation or just relaxation. Okay, so now I want to thank Ron Penska for engineering today's show. And thanks to Jay Merrill for the Bodhi Talk theme music. is now playing in the background. And especially thanks to you for listening and for supporting WJFF Public Radio. And remember, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Namaste. This is WJFF, or your community radio station, and that was Bodhi Talk with Doug Bill. And right now we're, we're anticipating a live press conference addressing federal funding for rural